going on everybody welcome back to the goat district uh, i'm here with my man dan williamson and we have uh one of our favorite guests i think if you're if you're playing dynasty football or redraft for that matter you're, you're most likely following scott connor you know who he is all of our ffpc people know who scott is scott is a tremendous dynasty mind he's also a really 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 talented redraft player um i've competed against him in multiple high stakes leagues and uh, I have a great deal of respect for you in terms of what you bring to the dynasty table here, Scott. So we're not effing around here, guys. We, we're, we're one day away from three weeks out from the NFL draft. This is crunch time. This is money time. We want to win dynasty leagues this season. We want to win some cash. And if we're not in that position, we want to have the, the best possible rebuilds uh, possible. So Scott's a perfect guest for today. Uh, he's everywhere. Uh, Scott's Scott's kind of like like my man Co- Cody Carpenter from uh, Player Profiler, where you're all over the place this time of year, Scott. You're like guest guest appearing everywhere. Um, you're but they can find you on Destination Debbie, Trades in Five, DLL Football. Uh, you're the owner of Dynasty and Chill. Why don't you tell everybody kind of where they can find you on like a weekly basis and, and kind of moving forward throughout this offseason? Well, first, uh, appreciate you guys having me. I think this is my fourth time on Goat District and first time with Dan. So this should be fun. Every other time, it seems like Dan's been out of town or we've had a conflict and had to reschedule. So excited to be here with Dan for the first time. Uh, chopped it up with Dan for a long time. Uh, yeah, you mentioned most of the places. Uh, check the Twitter bio. You can find them in there. Uh, funny you mentioned Cody. We just did the uh, wake up show with Ray this morning and Cody and I were both on there doing a mock draft. So kind of similar to some of the stuff we're going to talk about. So if you like that kind of stuff, check out that show from earlier. Really, it's everything in the Twitter bio. Most of my Dynasty content now is on either my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill, or Destination Debbie, which is a massive conglomerate at this point with weekly content, daily content, pretty much doing everything. So everything's over at Destination Debbie. And then if you like YouTube, if you're tuning into this, Trades in 5, uh, we live stream usually every Tuesday night. Uh, tonight, we're actually live streaming because uh, we had to postpone from last night. So it's tonight, 9.15, but regularly... Dynasty Trades in 5 on YouTube, uh, usually 8.30s on Tuesday nights is when we live stream there. And it's just, you like Dynasty Trades or Dynasty Strategy, it's just boom, 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 boom for 90 to 120 minutes. And then, Theo, I got to give a final shout out to my boy, Jay Reed. 
chasing the helmet, co-manager on all of our high stakes teams. Uh, I think we're going to be over close to 60 leagues this year. So we're, we're stepping it up. Uh, definitely see both of you in Vegas, I hope. And uh, shout out to Jay though, chasing the helmet. And Kentucky, you're, you're, you guys are in Kentucky as well. Live Scott. Yeah, we uh we went to Kentucky for Super Bowl, and I'll be back there in uh, August for all the Kentucky drafts. And anybody that's close to Ohio or Northern Kentucky, I'll be in Cincinnati as well. A couple weeks before the uh, Labor Day weekend, they're doing more Kentucky drafts. So yeah, a lot of KFFSC this year too. I'm I'm debating uh, going to the KFFC live. That's uh, Andrew Schellenberg and I. We're talking about making that trip and splitting some teams. It looks like a blast. I, I've heard from everybody who goes there what a great time it is. So. That's definitely one. But Dan and I, like, we, we talked about this show today. And, Dan, we've had on some tremendous guests. And we've gone through, like, with Matt Hicks, with John Lobb, you know, with Cody Carpenter. Like, all kinds of guys, you know, give us your rookies ranked 1 through 12. And that's that was great. But I think at this time on the, with the calendar, you know, we're less than a month away from rookie drafts. We want to go a little bit deeper here and a little bit more strategy in terms of how to use these picks and maximize their value. Uh, first, I want to get your thoughts, Scott, before we get started. What is your general idea about this class? And could you compare it in context to the 2022 class, who a lot of people told us to get away from those picks-wise, and, and I think that that class certainly punched above its weight, and the 2021 class who's, who's given us guys like, you know, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, some some truly elite dynasty dynasty uh, players. Your general thoughts, Scott. I'll try to keep this not extremely long-winded, but essentially my take on this, and people, people have gotten on me because I think I was on Goat District last summer pumping up the value of those 2023 picks and saying, man, these are worth their weight in gold. You're going to want to have as many as you can get. But I think I always put the caveat on that point was, I wanted them over the summer and during the season for what they meant when it said random 2023 first. It was the power of the pick. That's why I wanted them because I thought there would be a robust market. And, and to an extent, there was during the season of people willing to trade for those 2023 picks. Well, now we're less than a month away from the draft and people are looking at the class and doing mock drafts. And you kind of hit that point, and it's earlier than what you thought if you loaded up on 2023 picks where you feel you are drafting an immediate starter into your lineup. You're going, oh, man, this doesn't feel good. I, I really want to take this receiver. Doesn't have a great profile. I want to take these running backs. Doesn't look like they're going to get the draft capital. Quarterbacks, there's four quarterbacks probably going in the first round, maybe five. But there's reasons to dislike all of them for one reason or the other. So I think the class has fallen flat, but I think it's fallen flat for two reasons. Uh, Theo, you mentioned 2021 and 2022. 2021 was kind of our our mulligan on drafting a bunch of early quarterbacks. You look at that quarterback class and this quarterback class from one through five, I think it's actually very similar. You know, if you take Stroud and Bryce Young, I don't want to say they're equal to Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, but if you just put them as placeholders, like they're clearly going to be at the top. Richardson equals Trey Lance. Maybe Will Levis equals Zach Wilson. Maybe Hendon Hooker equals Mac Jones. Maybe. But I think we're still scarred from that class. Looking back on what did we get from that class? Maybe Lawrence. Maybe Fields. And then everything else. So I think people are less convicted, which is weird. Because we're in, especially in Superflex leagues, if we're talking Superflex, the quarterback landscape in Superflex right now has never been more of a have or have not landscape. 
I have one of the top nine. If I don't have one of those, maybe I like Tua more than the market. Maybe I like Daniel Jones more than the market. Maybe I still like Trey Lance, Kyler, Dak. Okay, they kind of are what they are. But then it's like everybody else. Everybody else is a one-year bet. Even to the point where Aaron Rodgers is a one-year bet. Russell Wilson is a one-year bet. Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. Like You like these guys if you have them. But man, I don't think three years down the road, I'm not going to have to touch that quarterback position. So it's weird. We should overvalue these quarterbacks. But I don't think we've priced in the thought of, man, I don't like Will Levis, but the 10% chance that he becomes a top 10 starter or better, that's probably worth what I'm drafting at compared to Jordan Addison or Quentin Johnston. What am I getting with those guys? You know, another Brandon Ayuk, another Jerry Judy, Deontay Johnson. Those guys are good players. But really, if I said, what would you rather have, a stock that would be worth $100 or one that's worth 1000 Big difference. So I think we're not at the right spot where people are willing to write, buy right back into a class of quarterbacks that they don't like unless they think they are clearly in Fields, Watson, Lamar Jackson, Burrow range. If they're not going to get there, people are like, I don't really want to pay a premium price. And then real quick on the receivers, we've had so many good receivers from 2019, 2020, 2021, and then 2022. It's a saturated market. If you look at the top 50 receivers in Dynasty, 40 of them are from the last four classes, maybe more. You have the stragglers. You have the guys that have been around for seven, eight, nine years. Everybody else, it's receivers that are 25 and under that are already producing, that are producing as rookies, as sophomores. You know, it used to be you draft Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Those guys, they're good assets. They're not helping you win your league now. But now in, in Dynasty, you draft JSN, you're expecting at some point he's in your lineup this year and he's producing. There is no, I'm going to wait half a year. So we have just this craze with receivers. And then a deflation of running backs. People don't like running backs. And honestly, 95% of running backs, I think, in Dynasty are one to two year bets at most. And we're seeing the NFL treat them that way. Even the high end guys, ah, we don't want to pay them. Josh Jacobs now, franchise tag. Tony Pollard, franchise tag. Austin Eckler, barely worth $6 million a year. It's like the NFL's going that way. So I'm less confident drafting a running back that is literally not B. John Robinson a first round pick that I already know is probably at like the above average or better top end range. So it's not a great class to have a class of man. We have, we have 15 decent running backs in this class, but it's just not the dynasty landscape where people love that. So it's, it's a good class with a lot of players that are going to contribute, but I, I think it flattens off very quickly to where people are like, eh, if I have these picks, I'll draft players, but I am not convicted enough to go in and go, you know what, I'm going to go give you a first, Theo, because I need to draft Kendra Miller or Zach Charbonnet. I love him. I'm going to go pay a first for him. I think the average dynasty manager is getting smarter, and this is not a great class to be trying to make those moves. Dan, I, wanted, I want you to kind of piggyback off this, because me and you had a chance to sit down with Dalton Cates, and it seems like you also have a little bit of pessimism uh, about certain spots in this in this draft class. Do you want to elaborate on anything Scott had to say or or yeah, add I, to it? I, th I think Scott phrased it pretty well. Um, you know, for one thing, in the overall general dynasty landscape, I think uh, having those elite assets is probably more important than ever this coming year. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm talking about veterans. Uh, if any rookies make it to that level, them also. But just, you know, having those elite assets, the elite quarterbacks, the elite wide receivers, those few elite uh, bell cow running backs, it's going to be so, so important. If you can if you can cobble together a lineup that's got three or four of those, you're probably sitting in great shape. 
And then other than that, I mean, you know, I, I, I was talking in, uh, at, in a forum that we're both in, Theo, uh, this morning. You know, this is kind of almost a little bit of a sniper class um, where you're going to have to be a real sniper uh, once you get past the first few picks to, to get the really good players because I think there's going to be a lot of duds in there. You know, and if you can manage to find the Justin Jefferson at 108 or the, uh, you know, the A.J. Brown at 109 type deals that we've been able to find in previous drafts, that's great. But it's, it's really hard to see beforehand exactly who those players are going to be. I agree with you guys. I think that there gets to be a point where these it's it's almost come like like a full 180 cuz like what Scott talked about this was such a class that was completely it was it was like this was the class. Like people were circling up 2023 last year. This time it was, you know, what pick can we pivot off of in our 2022 class to get a 2023 pick. And now it's come to a point where it's almost too beat up. So it's really like a really odd class. In my opinion, this is a class that's going to beat expectations because the expectations have dropped down. And like Scott said, I'm willing to embrace kind of the amb ambiguity of the running back position because there is a lot of profiles I really, really like. And I think that after the NFL draft, I hate to be a guy that wants to look at landing spot. I think that oftentimes that can get you in trouble. But there's a couple of these running backs that if they land correctly, you could end up with two years of top 18 production, for some of these guys, multiple years of top 12 production, we're going to get some very usable assets. And I do think that Bijan Robinson is more valuable right now than he would have been a year ago. I have It's been one of the most exciting rides. So if you did happen to trade for a pick that was the 101, uh, you're, you're feeling fantastic about that. And I want to ask, because Dan and I were talking with one of our groups, and Dan and I, were, we're actually going to be in a startup draft starting apparently tomorrow dan that's uh Looks that way yeah. so, so dan and i made a move to move up to the to the 105 in a it's a super flex uh it's a it's triflex uh rules scott so we're, we're feeling pretty good but we've been talking about Bijan robinson trades okay and i've taken a couple heat uh, i've taken a little bit of heat for some aggressive moves that i have made to acquire that 101 want to get your thoughts non-super flex ffpc league we saw Ken Walker and the and the 107 for the 101. Where are you at on that trade, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the minimum price you can get them for. So on the surface, I would say that's a good deal because essentially you're paying a tax. You're paying a tax that probably ends up being Zay Flowers, Zach Charbonnet, Quentin Johnston, something like that. In in FFPC, you have limitations. You have shallower rosters. Running backs are magnified. The shallower the league the less starters, the less roster spots, the elite running backs are more important. Now, I can see a roster going, okay, I'm willing to make the bet that Ken Walker and Bijan Robinson are, you know, less than a standard deviation away in terms of their future production. So I'm willing to take the free first. Um, we'll talk about this later, kind of where the line is to potentially move to a future pick and how much that gives you flexibility going forward in the season. Uh, but one phenomenon that happened at running back that makes it really interesting with the timing of this class is – what we've seen over the last couple of years, the elite running back production has fallen. It's fallen 15 or so percent from where it was like five years ago, which means no longer are you seeing the RB1, RB2, RB3 posting 22, 23, 24, 25 points per game. You get to 20 and we're going, okay, that was an RB1 season or close to it. That's the expectation for B. John Robinson. If he hits 17, 18 points per game for five seasons, I would almost argue he was a bad pick 
And people will go, that's a great career. He stayed healthy. He gave you a bunch of carries, a bunch of touches, a bunch of catches, touchdowns. The, the reality is a 17 to 18 point per game running back is not a difference maker. I can take a running back build that's completely different and cost a fraction of what you paid for Bijan and patchwork it together, whether that's through buying a single Derrick Henry or buying a bunch of filler running backs where I'm strong everywhere else and making up for it. Hopefully I hit on some spot starts and I just do it based on volume. You can get to like 15 points a game just by streaming and having enough roster spots. So that's why I do think Bijan is worth it because if the the landscape at the position is falling and we're ushering out guys like Barkley, McCaffrey, Eckler the, over the next couple of years, if you find the player at the top that kind of breaks the mold and goes back to where McCaffrey was or even where Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, those were at their prime, it's a bigger advantage relative to the field than it was five years ago. And I think that's what you're kind of speaking to, Theo, is the fact that Bijan comes in and he is RB1 in February speaks to where we're at. So I do think he, if you hit on him, and that's why you got to have exposure to him, if you hit on him, it's actually going to be a baseball term, wins above replacement. It's going to be more impactful over the next couple of years having him than it even would have been having Jonathan Taylor or Brees Hall or, you know, and those guys in their first or second year. So I think you got to have some exposure. If you're in 20 leagues, you got to have Bijan in one or two just to say, hey, if that happens, I'm I'm there. So you have to have some exposure. And if you didn't earn a 101, you got to make a deal like you saw go down where you just pay that tax and you just ride it. Dan, is that where you're at? Like your thoughts on a trade 107 and Ken Walker. If you're holding the 101, are you accepting that deal? Or are you looking for more? What, what would be your thoughts on, on, on that sort of a deal for, for a Bijan? No, I'm definitely not taking that trade. Uh, I would be holding out for a good bit more. You know, like I've, I put out some offers. I, I put out, uh, I had one week where I had the 104, the 108, and the 110, and I offered them all for the 101, and I got shot down. But Shut uh, down in 15 minutes, Dan? How long was the – that's like a 15-minute reject. No, that one that that one was like a two hour reject. So I don't I don't know if uh, you know he just didn't get to it before then, or if he actually debated it for a while. But um, anyway, what he what he came back is is you know our our sights are firmly set on the one hundred and one. We're we're gonna hang tight. So and I I think that was the right move. I mean you know I would have been thrilled if I'd have gotten that deal through, but um, you know there was no way to do it. I think if I'd have had like the one hundred and two or one hundred and three instead of the one hundred and four and added those other two picks, maybe I could have got there then. But otherwise, it's just tough. And, yeah, and, and Scott said exactly why. Because, he, you know, if, if Bijan hits, the opportunity cost of, of um, you know, not having that Bijan pick, I mean, you know, you can go out there and you can get a collection of assets, but, you know, they're never going to be as good as that one running back that really, really hits. So you got to, you know, if you're going to trade away that 101, you're basically betting that Bijan's not going to be that guy and, that you can cobble together something similar with what you get in, in return. So I'm kind of in the same place as Scott on that. Yeah, I love the way you put that, Scott, where it's almost hard to quantify an asset like we saw from those elite McCaffrey seasons. It's like the, you know, the 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 potential for a, a like a rule breaking type points per game. And people really can't quantify that. Like yeah, you might have RB4 overall, RB5 overall in Walker, but it doesn't really matter if he's averaging 17 to your 24 points per game. Um, and I think that's the kind of that's the kind of outcome we could see for Bijan, and I completely agree with you. It's not the kind of guy that you want to completely stay away from 
I think that's poor process, especially for high volume uh, players. I want to pivot off the rookies. I want to get both your opinions on Tony Pollard. This is a guy that I have seen uh, be traded multiple times this offseason. And by a lot of managers that we would know and, and respect, I think are taking, you know, different approaches with him. I've seen people actively going after Tony Pollard, and I've seen a few managers actively trying to move away their Pollard shares. Scott, where are you on Pollard? How would you be treating him as a dynasty asset? And how long is his window? And what sort of a dynasty team should be acquiring him? Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting name because he probably exceeded expectations by a good bit last year. But then we have a reset where he ends the season getting injured. And I haven't heard like anything negative about his injury, but it was a serious injury. I believe the what I read initially was it was very similar to the DJ Chark injury, where essentially it's a six-month injury. Like It's not something where he's good to go like today. Like It's possible that it's going to linger into the summer a little bit, and he is a running back. So obviously if there's any sort of you know, setback or anything like that, then, you know, that's a, an added risk that you may not have to actually take on. I, I'm probably the wrong person. If you're looking for some validation on Tony Pollard, I'm probably the wrong person to. No, that's, that's actually perfect. Make yeah. the bear, the bear argument against Tony Pollard. Is it the age? Is it the contract or is it the lack of sample size? Uh, well, it, it's not exactly the contract or the age. It's more of, I don't look at running backs outside of a, a, a one-year window unless you are a Bijan Robinson type. Like, I'm not looking at someone even like Ken Walker or Travis Etienne as, oh, they're going to give me four or five years. Like, they're probably going to be around for three or four or five years, but I'm not counting on them unless I've seen them hit that high-end production. I, I don't want to put much, quote-unquote, dynasty equity in terms of what I'm holding on my team I don't want to overvalue Ken Walker versus Nick Chubb because I think he's going to last two years longer. Makes no sense to me. I'm looking very, very short term, especially if we're going to see the veterans continue to be year to year propositions. Okay. What if one of mine expires a little earlier? I can replace it. I can replace 17 points per game for Ken Walker. Sure. I may have to give up a future first or something like that, but I can replace it. I don't want to hold that on my team. Oh, Ken Walker, he's RB3 in Dynasty. Okay, well, he's not producing like it. Why am I holding RB3, the assets? That's kind of how I look at Pollard. So I ran some efficiency numbers, which is pretty interesting. And Pollard grades out pretty well if you're just looking at points per opportunity. So we're talking rush attempts and targets for his career. Active right now, he's 17th in the league. And there's a lot of guys ahead of him that I would tell you the name and you'd be like, yeah, that player is not relevant. Duke Johnson, Jarek McKinnon, Ty Montgomery. None of those guys are, they're active, but they're not relevant. So he's probably in the top seven or eight, but he's still only averaged like 11 opportunities a game for his career. I know he was up closer to like 16 last year. He's a year to year proposition though. I could easily see four guys in the rookie draft this year literally could replace him overnight because it doesn't take that much to be pretty efficient but the biggest thing with Pollard, if he doesn't jump into, I've categorized bell cows as guys that are getting at least 18 opportunities a game. You hear that term thrown around all the time, right? We want bell cows. But you know how many of them actually exist in the NFL? It's like a dozen or less. And most of them are the guys that you've already seen do it four, five, six, seven years. And they're not the guys that are coming up right now. So I just look, I look at Pollard and I'm like, you know what? If he's RB8, RB10, I can replace him. If he's RB20, I'll buy him. And that's it. So I guess if there's a discount that you can get them on later, 
sure, but can I buy Aaron Jones plus? What's the difference? What's the difference? I, that's how I look at Pollard. So just by default, he's a sell because people are crediting the fact that he's he's young. He's still, you know, just getting past his rookie contract. I can probably get an extra value for that. Scott, you run so pure because that was going to be one of the like Aaron Jones plus was a was a pivot. Uh, Dan, would you say that the bell cow is going extinct? And also, where are you at on Tony Pollard? Yeah, I mean, the you know, I don't I don't know if the bell cow is going extinct, but he's definitely an endangered that's species. the show that's the show title now yes. the bell cow is going extinct it, it, it you know definitely an endangered species i you know it they're they're it seems like it's harder and harder uh, to get these rookie running backs up to bell cow status throughout you know the first couple three years of their career which is really how fast they need to get there they need to get there within the first couple of years so they're just probably not getting there ever um you know and pollard's perfect example of that you know as scott said He's never gotten all that many opportunities, even last year with, uh, you know, Zeke being totally dust. Uh, you know, he was still around 15, 16 opportunities per game. And, you know, the, the thing is, is, you know, if Dallas is probably going to take a running back in the draft, right? Uh, you know, we're not looking at the Pollard and Rojo show here. Um, so whatever running back they take in the draft, if they're any better than Zeke Elliott, probably by the time, especially you get to the weeks that count in the playoffs, uh, you know, Pollard's going to be pretty much just what he was or maybe a little bit less than last year. So, you know, I I don't see Dallas just absolutely, totally relying on Pollard to the extent that some people think that they're going to. So I'm I'm more of a, you know, sell Pollard if you got him and you can get a great price. But, you know, he's a really tough guy to buy because most of his dynasty managers are holding pretty tight as if he was going to get 20 opportunities a game, which I just don't see. I'm I'm taking a neutral approach with Pollard. Not to interrupt you guys, I'm I'm kind of a I'm a neutral with him. I'm not necessarily looking to sell him. I'm not necessarily looking to acquire him. I think he's properly priced. Like Scott, you bring up, you know, if he's RB twenty, he's a buy. If he's RB ten, like we put him at RB eleven um, on Player Profiler for for our dynasty rankings. That could obviously change right after the draft. But right now, heading into the draft, I'm taking a bullish approach. I like your idea of pivoting off of Pollard, but let me ask you, with a with a guy like Pollard, Scott, and this is a great one for you too, Dan, is the, the better move, Scott, for you to pivot to an Aaron Jones plus or to use Pollard and try to move Pollard plus to get to a running back that maybe might be a little more of a, a truly elite type type back? What do you think is the better philosophical move when you have a guy who let's call him a top 10 top 12 back with question marks how would you play that sort of an asset scott so just to add on one point on dan and then i'll sure. answer your question i i think this ties it perfectly because dan was talking about oh they're the, the bell cow running back is not going extinct dan hit on one point that is a great great kind of transition into what we talked about a little earlier with the rookies all of that stuff you said is true, Dan, except for you know what else has to be the case for us to give a guy credit for being a bell cow? People have to like him to begin with. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing is we're seeing running backs now only get draft. Most running backs are going to go round three, round four, round five of the NFL draft, which is going to create some negative stigma on them because, well, they didn't get the quote-unquote draft capital, right? Damian Pierce, 20 opportunities last year per game. Nobody would classify him as a bell cow. You know why? Because, well, he didn't have great pedigree. He was a fourth-round pick. He could get replaced, right? 
So we've never given him credit as being a bell cow yet. In three years, we might look up and go, wow, he's averaged 20 opportunities a game for his career. And finally, in year four, we're giving him credit as a bell cow when really that's what we should be hoping for, like best case scenario for any running back in a class going forward. Uh, to answer your question, Theo, I, I think there's very few guys I would pivot up to with Pollard. It almost ha- it, It's a list you can make on one hand. Like I don't want to go and pay for a guy that's done this in the past. Like I would not want to add to Pollard to get Josh Jacobs or someone like that or someone technically who may be a few slots higher than him. It's got to be Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, McCaffrey, Barkley, Bijan. Like, that's the list. And mm-hmm. some people may go, man, I don't really want to add my future first to go get Jonathan Taylor for my Tony Pollard when the reality is, is Jonathan Taylor really hitting 23, 24 points per game? Probably not. So, like, if Pollard can stay where he was last year and Jonathan Taylor is just slightly better, is that where I want to use my first right now in April to just go upgrade there? Or would I rather save that first until, oh, maybe Tony Pollard gets hurt and I need to go buy a replacement for him instead of just thinking I know who is going to be better? So I, I think it's very hard to pivot up. But then I, I would ask Dan, Dan, if you add anything to Tony Pollard, are you even getting in Bijan Robinson territory to begin with? Probably not. So it's like, how how do you move up to a guy like Bijan? It just feels like it's galaxies away. I did see a Pollard to move up to the 101 package by Ooh. a, and I'll, I'll keep a- anonymity um, because it's a player we, we probably go against in the same FFPC leagues. But let's say it's a guy with a lot of skin in the game um, who, who did acquire the Pollard side. It was like Pollard and it was a similar trade that Dan had, except instead of like the 108, it was Tony Pollard. With like a, I believe it was a one one higher high first, and then I could be off on the third asset. But it was a package involving Pollard, so I do think there's a little bit of like eye of the beholder here with Pollard. And then kind of the same question for you, Dan. What would you be looking to do? Do you think it's like when you have a player of that ilk, is it to try to acquire a a better a better you know asset, or would it be to tr- to acquire like a Jones plus maybe an older guy? with with something else yeah i i tend to be more of a trade down guy than a trade up guy for the most part um especially with somebody like a pollard uh just because i'd i'd rather kind of have that you know two chances to hit you know I, i i would be trading him for a guy who i think could become as valuable as pollard plus another asset on the side you know probably a pick or something like that that i can hopefully turn into something valuable as well um, you know, so that's, that's the way that I kind of prefer to go because if I can get a couple, three of those, then I can think about tr- maybe, maybe I'll trade these two or three assets and trade up, but I'm probably trading up at a different position. I'm probably trading up at wide receiver or tight end rather than trying to trade up at running back. So, uh, that's kind of the way I'd handle it. Guys, I want to move on very quickly here. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, Scott, on Greg Dulcich and Chigakonkwo who have been two younger tight ends who have had like a little bit of steam this offseason, especially in FFPC leagues. Do you think that these guys are the kind of players you'd be looking to acquire or are these guys that maybe got steamed up a little too much here? Uh, and then I also want to pick both of your brains on, you know, some potential uh, trade targets at tight end. Thoughts on those two guys, Scott? Well, anyone that knows my uh, tight end stuff, and I know you guys have had uh, some prior guests that are tight end experts as well. There's a lot of different takes on tight ends, but very few that I've found actually have some sort of data behind it. It's a lot of just opinion. I like this guy. He can do X, Y, or Z. 
I think we're at a point where the tight end landscape is pretty bad. I mean, you talked earlier about taking shots on Bijan. There's a reason people continue to take shots on Kyle Pitts. They're looking for the just absolute home run play at a position where they're desperate for somebody to take over for Travis Kelsey. So you can see it. People are constantly looking for, okay, how do I get on one of these difference-making tight ends? Even in 1.5 premium, you're still wanting a top six or so tight end. If I have tight end 10, I have nothing. I, I, I probably need two others in the same range to platoon effectively to be able to defeat a team that has a top four or five tight end. So that's where I see a lot of the guys from last year. We're steaming them up because, well, Theo, Greg Dulcich was good last year. Guess what? He just has to get better every year, right? Till in year five, he should be George Kittle or Mark Andrews. And like that's not the way that it works. We see a lot of rookie tight ends that exceed your expectations because what's your expectation, Dan, for a rookie tight end? Nothing. Yeah, like, I have to hold him for a year, especially in FFPC. It's painful to hold three rookie tight ends. You know you're going to be cutting at least one or two of them for sure. So, like, we had some success with these guys. So, it's like, all right, we look at the keep trade cut, for instance, Dulcich, tight end 11. What's what's the realistic outcome for him to go higher than that? It's tough. It's going to be yeah. tough for him to go higher. And he also doesn't have the prototypical profile. This is my my pushback on Chiga Conquo. He, he's, he's a 6'3 Raz guy. He's 6'2". He's basically a slot receiver, but you compare him to like Evan Ingram, he's not as good of a slot receiver. So what is his ceiling? So he's an automatic sell for me. He's a major outlier. Those guys just do not track when they're that small to be top 12 tight ends. Definitely not top five. But even Dulcich, I would bet against him being top five. I see no difference between him, David Njoku, Pat Fryermuth. They're all the same to me. So whatever one I can sell because everyone else likes more, then he's a pivot off. And Two years from now, when Greg Dulcich is tight end 20 or tight end 18 because he just hasn't gotten much better than he was last year, sure, maybe I'll buy back in. Dan, your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that's real difficult about tight ends at this particular time of year is it's a lot of times really tough to tell exactly where they're going to fall on the target totem pole with their teams. So, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of projecting here, and those projections are, you know, they're doing heavy lifting for people who are assigning a lot of value to these guys. And I just don't really like doing a ton of projecting, especially at that position, because it's, you know, Andrew Cooper, um, who we love having on the GOAT district, you know, his, his contention is, you know, really a, a tight end needs to be number one or number two on his team in targets and to have a shot to be one of those elite tight ends and that is definitely the case but the thing is is a lot of for most of them that's a rotating thing year over year you know is evan ingram going to be the number two uh, target on his team like he was last year i don't know i don't think so you know so evan ingram becomes overvalued you know and he becomes one of those guys i would definitely sell if i could buy if i could sell evan ingram and buy um greg dulcich plus I would probably do that because I think Dulcich and Evan Ingram could end up being in about the same area of the, you know, of production. Uh, same thing with Pat Fryermuth or anybody else. I mean, you know, basically once you get down past Kittle, um, it gets pretty tough to project them year over year. So tight ends are something I try to treat a little bit more like, a, you know, if I can get into that elite tier, that's great. But if I can't, uh, you know, I'm kind of handling it like Scott. I'm, I'm, I'm selling the guys that are high and I'm buying the guys that are low. I'm just looking for those who might have that sort of opportunity. You know, if they're if they're top two, like um, you know, Chig is top two on his team right now, so that intrigues me a little bit. But 
I don't expect him to stay there. I think that somehow, some way, Tennessee is going to be adding targets, and also I don't expect him to pass that much. So that kind of takes the shine right back off him. I like your both of your points. I think that these guys, um, and we'll take it up up a notch to even like my guy. Fryermuth is like my guy for years, but I think it's reached a point where where Fryermuth might have kind of peaked in terms of his dynasty value. And I think sometimes these these guys that don't necessarily have a path to like a a top three tight end finish, like a really impactful finish, these kind of guys work better when you package them in a trade. And I think like Dulcich right now would be a package Dulcich with something else to pivot up to a, a better bet for next year. Like I've been able to complete a couple trades for Hawkinson trading Fryermuth Plus, which maybe not, might not be a classic Scott Connor-like move in terms of, you know, we like a pivot down, Scott. But I think sometimes to get that 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 elite asset, those guys are worth more in a package than they would be for me to trade them for like whatever uh, draft pick equity they would they would have. What do you think of that, Scott? No, I think that that's actually the correct move. If you look at, uh, I mentioned the war data, but uh, like on our on my channel, we are huge into looking at wins above replacement or wins over replacement. And if you just look back at a roadmap of what it's looked like the last couple of years, where do you want to spend your premium assets, aka your first round picks that you probably have to pay your future dues and you know you only get one of to make a big bet? And I don't love making those big bets in April or May because we're real far from the season. There a lot can happen. There's no worse feeling than you having a middle team. You trade your first because you think you're getting that upgrade. Week four, it's not an upgrade. You don't have an asset that you can move, and now you're fledgling because the pick you have is spiraling towards the bottom, and you don't have it anymore. So I typically do, do not like to make those moves. But if you're going to make it, it's going to be in three spots. In Superflex, you're going up to get an elite quarterback. If you're going after a running back, it's got to be one of the guys we talked about earlier. I'm going for the very top. I'm trying to hit that 23, 24 point per game season. And then tight end. Whatever your tiers are, Theo, if you have TJ Hawkinson at tight end two or three and you think that's one of the difference makers, I'm absolutely okay paying. I'd rather pay, can I go just from the Friar Muth plus a second and get a Hawkinson type of trade? Like, I don't want to give up a first, but if I had to, that's a spot I'm okay doing. It's got to be one of one of those spots. Like very rarely am I making those deals just trying to buy a wide receiver two with some upside or something like that. So I think it's very specific, but that's a good spot to do it. Want to get to our, our rookie class, guys. This has been amazing. We could talk for three hours on this side of sort of deep dynasty theory. But let's get into it, guys. Uh, Dan and I, we're, we're both on record. We're on Jackson Smith and Jigba at the 102 and non-super flex. Is this where you are at as well, Scott? And what do we need to see from a player like Jameer Gibbs or whoever you might have like in that mix to, to jump JSN here? Uh, basically, your thoughts on the 102, how you're approaching it right now. You know, I was torn a couple weeks ago. Um, I had a really good discussion with someone else uh, from Destination Devi. We chopped this up, this exact topic up for about a half hour. And I just came out of it with, all right, I, I've broken down kind of what it means to have a difference-making running back season. Not that Gibbs can't do that, but I think he's probably a, an extreme efficiency outlier if he is going to do it. And I also think in this current running back market, there are a lot of... I love Jameer Gibbs, but there's a lot of things about him that you may find yourself with a Jameer Gibbs share in a league and someone goes, yeah, you know, he's good. I'm not paying that premium price. You can have him. If he ends up being the next Camara or Eckler, you win. But I'm not paying to find out. 
I, so I'd lean JSN. I think JSN is one of those assets right now. He's a top 10 receiver in Dynasty. Whether you agree with it or not, there's people going, I'll take him over T. Higgins. I'll take him over Devontae Smith. I'll take him over Amon Ross St. Brown. This is before he even lands anywhere. People are like, yeah, he's that good. He is the wide receiver one in this class. Everybody is chasing receivers. Like It feels like he has to do very little other than just go out and have a decent season, and he is right where Garrett Wilson is right now. And he's almost 80% of the way there, but that's the asset I want to have. You have a Garrett Wilson, you have an active trade chip that everybody in your league probably wants. You have a running back that's undersized? Hit or miss in this market. So I think it's just JSN. I'm holding the, the chip I feel safer just carrying into the season. Dan, you had an amazing point on JSN last week with Dalton Cates. Anybody who didn't listen, uh, maybe share it with you now about how this could be the guy that makes the 101 drafter feel a little bit like they have a little FOMO in about a year or two. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, there there, there could be a variety of bad landing spots for, you know, Bijan. And as we know, running back get hurt. All you have to do is take a look at the career arc of uh, Saquon. And you can you can definitely imagine a scenario where if uh, JSN turns into, you know, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or, you know, even better, you know, like a Justin Jefferson or something like that, that's, you know, you, you would never have wanted to missed out on that career arc for a career arc like Barkley, even though that first year was really, really awesome. Uh, you know, just where you end up as, you know, over the course of several years uh, can sometimes really turn that tide. So, and, and I'm kind of in the same spot as Scott is on, uh, on Gibbs. You know, we've talked about this before, Theo, but, you know, specifically, I think, you know, rather than have, you know, take somebody like Gibbs, I would rather go out with a lesser pick and go buy myself a, you know, a David Montgomery or a, a DeAndre Swift or Miles Sanders or Rashad White or whoever, you know, because I, I think they can still probably be relevant for a couple of years. I don't know how much I'm going to get out of, you know, Gibbs is a black box. He's only 201 pounds. That's a, that's a really tough place to succeed from historically as far as a running back. So I'd rather go with a guy that has already kind of shown they can do the job and get them cheaper, and then use that that 102 on somebody like JSN. And then just to keep going here um, with the with the 103. So Dan, last week you your 103 is who Dan right now? You be uh, Jordan Addison, correct? Yeah, Jordan Addison, um, still my 103. Um, you know, I could I could see potentially Charbonnet landing in a really really nice spot or something like that but i think that's that's a very low odds outcome i think that's less than 10 percent. so yeah probably jordan addison right now for my 103 my 103 is gibbs and i'm pretty comfortable with him there i understand that the question marks about 199 pound back but i'll take an optimistic approach there so scott Bijan's your one jsn's your two is gibbs your three or is there another name you want to throw out there I think Gibbs is still my three. If I had to pick, I'm making the, the Gibbs pick. I do think the the delta between Gibbs and a lot of the other running backs in the class isn't as much as what's being stated. And so that way it makes it tough to, to stomach picking him at 103 when you tell me, man, what can I get to trade back? Especially if I have one of these teams that has extra roster spots. If you're telling me I can add three running backs in this class for one Gibbs, I might be willing to take the bet on on those three versus one Gibbs from what we've talked about the entire show. So I think it's three, but it's more of a by default. And 
I've seen some mock drafts with landing spots, you know, Charbonnet going somewhere in round two or Tajay Spears going somewhere in round two, where I think it could challenge Gibbs to where the 103 person now goes, man, I'm glad I have Gibbs, but they're trying to trade back a couple spots in 104, 105, 106. They're going, no, I'm good. I'll just take the guy that I'm going to get because I know I'm going to get somebody that I feel like I can get the same production out of. Follow-up for both of you guys before we get to another follow-up. Let's say Gibbs lands great. Let's say Gibbs lands with the Miami Dolphins with Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel says something about, oh, I'm excited to coach Jameer Gibbs. We're going to use the hell out of him. Fantasy goes nuts. Would you still consider pivoting off? Like, I think, Scott, you just kind of nailed it because I think that that trade is going to be there for you. If Gibbs lands well, you could potentially pivot for, like, a Banacanda, A-Chain, and Spears. Let's say they all land okay. You could go with that three-for-one, we'll be there. Is that something where you would still consider doing when he lands, you know, on paper very well? Or is that something, you know, you would want to consider doing like preemptively, like trading the 103 before the NFL draft for like the 107, the 201 and something else? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes both ways because I'm somebody that has said this year that as long as we're starting to play with more and more educated dynasty players, a lot of times where the deals get done or when you're willing to trade in an uncomfortable range from a spot that other people have demand for. Gibbs lands in a bad spot, but he's still RB3 or RB2 by default. Is there going to be the demand for everyone to come and go get that pick? Probably not. But the time to maybe get the actual haul would be when people want that pick. When you go, man, I just struck gold with this 103. Are you willing to pivot against the grain and take that three-for-one bet. If he lands in a bad spot and he's just RB2 by default, Dan's not going to be knocking on my door going, hey, I need to get that Jameer Gibbs. He goes to Miami in the middle of the second and everyone loves it. Three people are going to be knocking on my door. What do you What do you want? I'm willing to give you 105 and a first. you know. And then you're like, okay. But you're trading from a position where you know other people want what you have. If you wait and it's a dead tier, you get in a league with sharp players, good luck. Did I, go ahead and pick. I, I actually look at Dan. I go, Dan, I'm excited to see who you draft because I want you to have to pick. I have no pressure. I'll take the next guy, and you have all the pressure to hit, not me. Dan, anything to add on like that kind, of, that kind of situation, though, Dan, where like if Gibbs lands perfectly, is that like from your perspective, Dan, where you have question marks about him, are you more likely to lean into, you know, hey, I, I love the landing spot and I'm willing to take a more optimistic approach now, or is that the time to sell? No, I would definitely be selling if he if he hits that nuts landing spot because I'm already, you know, the reasons why I'm down on him have nothing to do with landing spots. So if, if that landing spot adds extra value, then I'm going to just harvest that extra value and go ahead and send that pick out and get what I can get for him because I'm, my bet right there is that the landing spot isn't ultimately going to matter. He's not going to be what people hoped that he was. And so I'm going to come off better just by uh, going ahead and, and getting the best deal that I possibly can. Um, you know, so this, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, like uh, a few years ago when we had the Rashad Penny Chubb class, all that, you know, and we, it, it seemed very flat. So if you had the 102, it was really hard to trade down to the 104, 105 because people just didn't want to move. They just didn't care. It was like, yeah, you know, you want to take Chubb at 102? Fine, I'll take Penny at 105. You want to take Penny at 102? I'll take Chubb at 105. You know, and, and it was all over the map as far as like who was taking what where there. Um, 
you know, I, I forget who else was in that class. Sony Michelle, I think, was was right up there. You know, so there 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 was a variety of uh, picks, and and it was, you know, unless you hit Chubb, you probably didn't didn't hit the nuts on that one. Then. Okay, so we had. I thought it was an awesome process last week talking with uh, Dalton and Dan about what pick you would pivot off for for Jamison Williams, but I want to take it up to this elite tier. Scott, one hundred two or Chris Olave. And some people might laugh at these questions, but I think these trades are out there in some leagues. Alave or the 102 right now? I'd go Alave just because his rookie year tracks to be uh, at probably have a floor of a consistent top 24 receiver uh, with a ceiling of being better than that. He's already priced better than that. The one reason you would make a deal like that is if you're trading away from a strength and you may have an, another thing you want to do with that, that pick. You know, it is it easier to get maybe a Bijan trade if you have a 102 and Gibbs lands in a great spot. Is the Bijan manager more likely to maybe play ball with you with that situation versus if you just have a receiver? But you're kind of galaxy braining it a little bit. Like, you kind of have to know that stuff before you know your league. That'd be the only reason I think I would trade away a guy like Alave for the 102. But it, it is an ambiguous pick. Like, there could be another deal there you go, man, this hurts to do this. But there's a 10% chance I get an even better deal, and now it's available because I have a draft pick instead of a single player. Agreed with you on that, and I will also throw out to you another potential reason for a pivot would be I have a ton of Chris Olave. You start getting into actual dollars invested, and a guy that we got at like the 107 last year, 106, and now I'm cashing out for the 102. I don't think that's the worst process. Dan, Olave or the 102 right now? I'm going to go Olave in a vacuum. Okay. I'm going to assume that this goes Wilson on both of it. Garrett Wilson or the 102? Scott? Same. Wilson. Dan? Wilson. Drake London or the 102? That's where I'm willing to take the reroll because I not only have the choice of the pick, but I probably take JSN pretty, pretty easily over Drake London just for the market. I love Drake London, but – JSN feels like he's where Drake London is right now, if not higher. So I might as well take the pick. I have more flexibility and more choices still to come. Dan? Same. Yeah. It's, it's tough to give up London, but I think I would under that circumstance. I'm with you guys, and I think that that trade is out there for certain Drake London managers to make because I think there's somebody in your league that really, 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 really wants Drake London, and I think that would be an appropriate pivot. Let's take it down to the 103. Uh uh, obviously, Alave and Wilson, uh, you guys you know, chose those guys over the 102, so I don't need to ask. But let's go Drake London versus the 103. Scott. Man, I think I'm going to lean the 103, and it, it's not an indictment on Drake London. It's, again, you know, what's the worst-case scenario if I go, you know what, I think I get JSN. A lot of FFPC leagues, you guys know, there's a starvation for running back. So it isn't going to be consensus that it is JSN over Jameer Gibbs. There's probably some people that were banking on a running back in this class, and that's they've already angled that pick to a running back. So it's going to be very hard unless Gibbs lands in a horrible spot to make the JSN pick. So you still may get JSN over London, but if I said, man, I need to get a receiver, and now I'm stuck with Gibbs or picking one of the other guys, I still think that 103 in an FFPC league, you could trade for an equivalent receiver to Drake London. You could flip it. On, on the clock in the draft are close enough. So I, I would still take the pick for the flexibility. Yeah, for me right now, 
everything being equal, I think I might take London over the 103 because I wouldn't have to sit back on draft night and, and worry about it. And I think that there's a pessimistic approach would be, you know, maybe Gibbs lands very poorly, Charbonnet lands poorly. Maybe I don't love the Addison landing spot. And I, I find 103 to be in kind of a weird tier. So I, I would have been happy that I flipped it for Drake London. Dan, right now, if you have the 103, somebody offers you Drake London for that. Are you taking it? I'm going to stick on the 103 because, you know, again, it's just sort of game theory here. If if uh, the person at 102 takes Gibbs, then I'm happy. I got I got my guy in JSN, and, you know, so I, I go home happy. Even if that doesn't happen, I can still pivot back down to, you know, I, I would probably take uh, Addison there. And if I do that, you know, he could still, he could end up to be as good as Drake London. Uh, you know, so there's at least a chance there. Whereas if I take Drake London, I kind of, you know, I know what my ceiling is, I know what my floor is, but I kind of cut myself out of some of the ceiling that I might have with that pick. Okay, I want to go to the 104 now. The 104 is a little trickier. Um, Dan, you have mentioned that, that Addison is your 103. So is your 104 right now Gibbs or is there somebody else? Yeah, right now it's Gibbs. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for almost any excuse to, uh, to shove somebody else over him. Uh, I'm just not sure if I'm going to get that or not. Scott, where are you at on the 104 right now? If you were picking today, if we're, we're, we're doing this before the NFL draft, let's say we had a rookie draft that started tomorrow. You have on the record, you are JSN and Bijan 1-2, and then you are Jameer Gibbs 3. Who would be your current 104? I'm probably with Dan, and I would say Addison, but I think I have much less conviction than he does on that pick. Uh, the reason why I think it's a tough spot, but it's also really the, the spot where you might love to be or you absolutely hate to be because you can't move back. There's a lot that can still happen. I, I tend to just go with ranges of outcomes and say, all right, let's assume that the top three picks are locked in on most people's boards. I say 90% of people you ask, Gibbs, JSN at two or three, and then Bijan at one for most people. Four gives me, I get to basically pick from the rest of the field. It's like making one of those bets where these three champs against the field. And you look and you go, man, there's a lot that can go right for me just to win on the field. Now I'm still having to make that pick. I still have to pick the right player, but at least I get to see everything land and determine, is that a dead tier where literally every other player I could have considered I don't like now, and now I'm stuck? Because if I'm in a league with you guys, guess what? If I hate 104, you probably hate 104. So I'm not able to move back two spots and pick up an extra player or an extra pick or something. But at least I get the first choice. I get dibs. And I think when we're doing tiers, you almost have to give a little bit of a governor to that pick right behind the tier you've set. Just because there's weird things that happen. Weird things happen in the draft. People make weird decisions. I think it's the 105 where I'm like, man, I'm just going to need luck to fall into what I want or at least the flexibility of the pick. I'm going to have to end up picking at the top of the tier and the two people behind me are going to get just as good of odds to get a better player and I'm not going to be able to extract any value. So I'm okay with the 104. I think I, if I had to pick, it'd be Addison, but I kind of like that spot definitely more than the 105 or 106. I agree with you. I think that it's – I'm in the 105 in uh, in our Hardway League with Dan, and it's kind of like I'm sitting there hoping that I'm going to get what I want at five instead of, you know, kind of being able to kind of dictate to the room at that, that 104 spot. So, What would I, you pay to go to 104? 
right now, not knowing anything, just saying you're going to get the choice of the first in the next year, what would you pay? I would, I would legitimately uh, send a, like a 2024 two. Uh, I would pay up to get into that tier. I would be aggressive with that because I wouldn't want to have to do it OTC where the guy would have my feet to the fire. And I think I could potentially uh, reaccumulate that, that second, um, you know, over the course of the season, I would like to give that up. I would not want to give up. Like I'd much rather give that up than like the two Oh five and the one Oh five to move up to the, to the one Oh four. So I think that's kind of like, that's that you might get yourself into some trouble, especially when we don't know landing spots and all that. But I'll say I'll throw out Charbonnet. Um, I'll say he's my current 104. I'm going to take an optimistic approach that he's going to land well. I like the profile. I think he catches the ball well enough. He's a bigger back. I can kind of squint and see multiple years of RB2 production from him. Uh, and maybe he has that one, you know, somewhat special season that really helps me. So I'll, t- I'll say with him at the 104. But we're, Addison for me is going to be my 105. So we're all pretty much close here, guys. Let's talk about pivoting off of the 104, though. Is there some particular veterans that you would consider, you know, kicking the tires on and moving that 104 for? And I know it's a very ambiguous question, but the the trade is out there. A lot of people want to get into this first round still. Uh, Maybe start out, Dan, is there some guys? I know you brought up Jamison Williams, Dan, and I think you get Jamison Williams plus for that 104. Um, maybe any other guys that kind of jump out to you, Dan? Yeah, I'd be looking at, um, you know, what, what would it take to get, um, oh man, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for something like that, if I had a loaded team and I was going for a championship this year, I might look at something like, uh, a Stefan Diggs, uh, perhaps, um, I would certainly look at, um, in a tight end premium, uh, you know, is there any way that I can get into one of those top tight ends? Um, Hawkinson, for example, um, I think I might be able to get. So that's that's just a couple thoughts on that one. Scott, any any pivots you'd want to share? I love your Hawkinson call, Dan, because I think that like that's the kind of thing that if you're a Hawkinson manager and somebody offers you the 104, you might just say, you know what, I'm taking it. Um, it's a it's a cash out that kind of makes sense for both managers. And it's like it's elite enough of an asset that you can move off of Hawkinson and say this is a proper cash out. Whereas if I'm getting Hawkinson, I think I'm going to get top five tight end production and have like a 16 point per game season in my wheelhouse in FFPC. So I like that one, Dan. Scott, any anything like that? Hawkinson and Andrews both came to mind as like this might be kind of the window where you have to have this specific pick to appeal to the person that you're trading to. And again, even if you miss, you're taking a shot in the right spot. Like you're looking for a difference-making tight end. And they don't have to be Travis Kelsey, but you want them to be above the teams that are just streaming against you for the most part. I thought of Diggs. I thought of Tyree Kill. And then I thought of Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Like you're probably not getting the running backs in FFPC because they're probably valued more towards the 102, 103 range. Uh, But I think that's where you're starting. If you're trying to buy... I mean, we already said Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are, are would be laughed at if you're trying to send them just a 104. So I think you probably have to go a little bit older, and, and it's easier in a shallow format to just add an extra piece. You know, if it, the difference is adding that second, it's the same as what you would add to the 105 to move up. I would still do it to get a one singular asset here, like Dan was saying, because, you know, ultimately I can replace, I get a free roster spot essentially. So at least I'm getting a little bit of value back and I'm just hiding the extra pick in there. So I think you're going for older production that, 
It's got to be the right manager that's willing to trade him away, though. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels. You arrive to the point where, man, I might as well just make that rookie pick of Jordan Addison and hope he becomes Drake London. I'd rather have that than having to go down a tier and take any sort of risk. Yeah, I think that that you kind of nailed it. I think that that is the kind of pick that if you are holding one of those aging running backs and maybe your window is closing and maybe you want to take the cash out, that might be the sort of pick you could get. I do think that that trade will be out there for you guys. Like, I think that if you offered the 104 to six different Stefan Diggs managers, I think you're getting it done at least half the time. Saquon becomes interesting because I think he's an eye of the beholder type asset. I think some people view him as as a more elite than that, and some people would absolutely take that pivot. Um, Want to continue down to the 105. Uh, Dan, who is your current 105? Just to, to repeat, guys. Dan has Bijan, JSN, Addison, Gibbs. Scott has the exact same order, except he flip-flops Gibbs, Addison. I have the same top three as these guys, except for I have Charbonnet at the 104. Dan, who's your 105? Yeah, this is where it really starts to get a little bit dependent on exactly what goes on in the NFL draft. Um, Quentin Johnson, who has a profile that I don't love, but I know he's going to go in the first round. Uh, you know, and, and somebody in the chat was asking, you know, if he goes, uh, yeah, it was a uh, 1912 fantasy. If he goes pick 11, 12, something like that, does that change anybody's mind on wide receiver values? It's still not going to push him over Addison or JSN for me, but it's definitely going to solidify him as the number five pick in my draft over, you know, probably Charbonnet or anybody else. Um, but if he goes in the back end of the first round or something like that, and uh, Charbonnet ends up go- being a second-round pick that goes to a good landing spot, uh, I would probably go with Charbonnet there. But um, there's there's only so far we're going to be able to push Quentin Johnson down, even for me, uh, You know, like I say, where I don't love the profile. So probably either Charbonnet or, or Quentin Johnson, if I, can, if I can waffle like that. Scott, for you, who is your current 105? I'm with you. I, I will go Charbonnet. Now, I'm a little cautious, though, because you start getting into, like we just mocked this morning with Cody, Jordan Reed's mock uh, from ESPN. He's pretty pretty tapped in. He has Charbonnet going pick 90 oh, to Dallas, oh. which is like the end of the third round. Now, he goes there. It's hard to ignore a first-round Quentin Johnson, especially if he goes in the top 15 versus a pick that was outside the top 75. That's where you're starting putting the, the process versus – Okay, I know in FFPC there will be people like Theo that like Zach Charbonnet. You know, Not if he goes ninety. Need- if he goes ninety, fellas, on the record, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pivot a little bit if he goes ninety. I don't want that. I want a second round Charbonnet. Right. But you know what? You're you're more of a pragmatic and. Uh, you know, you'll change your tune. There's a lot of people that are already dug in, and it's not just Charbonnet. It's Zach Evans. It's the, you know, there's a lot of people already dug in on the on the running backs. And it's going to be hard to change their mind unless it's just bad draft capital and terrible landing spots. So I, I would go Charbonnet, but listen, I, Quentin Johnson could fall out of the first round. He could go in the top 12, the wide range of outcomes. But he would be my wide receiver three if he got that draft capital, no question. I'm not taking Zay Flowers over in. I'm not taking Josh Downs, Marvin Mims, none of those. I would take Quentin Johnston. And it, if, again, that, it's an uncomfortable spot. It's all what, what, what what if Flowers goes ahead of uh, Quentin Johnson in the NFL draft? Say they're both. Uh, you Let's know, say Zay Flowers to the New England Patriots at 14 overall, which has been a, a potential landing spot for him. Well, we saw this last year. Remember, we saw Jahan Dotson get drafted ahead of Traylon Burks. And everyone talked about Traylon Burks. And it was like, oh, 
Jahan Dotson, he, well, he, what was the result? Well, he sh- he just shouldn't have been drafted that high, right? The NFL's wrong. It's like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> maybe. But I remember when that happened, it was like everyone talked about Traylon. And Jahan Dotson was like the, the forgotten top 20 pick. So that's how I kind of see Quentin Johnson and Zay Flowers. I think the market likes Zay Flowers better than they like Jahan Dotson, and they like Traylon Burks a lot more than Quentin Johnson. So that would be a factor to me. Ultimately, it probably comes down to knowing my league, Theo. There, there's somebody in my league that I know may like one of those one of those receivers. I may lean towards that. And the New England landing spot, it would definitely be Johnston. Definitely wouldn't be Flowers. So Diggs, Saquon, Mandrews, Hawkinson were some names we threw out. Obviously, they would still be thrown out for the 105 if we were on, we're on for the 104. I want to throw out Jamison Williams here, Scott. What pick would you trade for Jamison Williams? And kind of, I want to know where you're at on Jamison Williams because Jamison Williams is a guy that we're bullish on in the GOAT district. And this is a guy that we think could make a a really big impact in year two in his de facto rookie season. Man, this is is one of the harder players for me to evaluate in Dynasty because if I'm a a very data-based player and you plug him into almost anything that involves data, even if you give him credit for uh, only missing X amount of games, and then you give him leeway for coming back and not being 100%, you track that with his college profile, which was one year of production. The the range of outcomes for him, it's more often than not. The higher percentage play is you don't buy into Jamison Williams, especially at wide receiver 16 or 17, wherever he is. I mean, he's literally the fourth highest valued receiver from last year's class and I feel like if you put his profile on a second or third round receiver last year and they did nothing people would have already forgot about him so he's hanging on by a thread then you try to compare him to this year's receiver class and I go man who would most people in my leagues prefer at wide receiver two Jordan Addison or Jamison Williams I think it's Jamison Williams so I I mean he's worth a top five pick in this year's class just because I I ask anybody, hey, who would you prefer, Quentin Johnson or Jamison Williams? It's not even close. I think it's an asset-wise. You just you got to value him at where the market is. And I think Scott really nailed that one because whether you're into him or not, it's it's the the trade equity matters mm-hmm. because you have more flexibility to to make adjustments with your teams. Uh, and I I will say that all Jamison Williams needs to do over like the first six games is stay healthy and make a few really big fl- splash plays. And I think his his uh, value will increase because I think people really want to believe in this profile. I certainly do, and I certainly have a lot of shares. So we're t- we're saying Dan last week said he would consider throwing out the 103 for Jamison Williams. Dalton Cates uh, said the 104, and you're on like the 105 uh, for Jamison. And I think that that trade is out there, guys. We saw Jamison Williams go to a a, a player I very much respect in the FFPC. Uh, he traded away Jamison Williams for the 107 and like a, a 305. And this was also right before cuts where things get a little a little dicey in terms of trying to get to that number for some managers in FFPC. But I think that that 105 for Williams is a pivot you can make. Let's keep this thing going, guys. The 106. Where are you at on the 106, Dan? This is You, you mentioned Quentin Johnson and Zach Charbonnet. Would this be... Whoever isn't isn't there at five falls to six for you, or is there somebody else you want to push into this? Yeah, more than likely it's going to be the other one of them. But again, you know, uh, I'm I'm still willing to give like Flowers room to jump up over either of these two guys. So uh, it call 
call it, we'll just call it just for the sake of uh, we'll just call it Quentin Quentin Johnson. We'll say he's my sixth. <laughs> JD's not I here, so it. so you could you could go you could go JD here. What JD will be like throughout like three guys when he's OTC right here because he loves <laughs> loves his tears. He's a tear guy. But we're putting yep. you on the spot here, Scott. Scott, you are Charbonnet at the 105. Uh, and so you're going to be Quentin Johnson here at the 106, or is there somebody else you want to throw into the realm of possibilities? Nope, I'm not gonna not gonna change it up. I'm with Dan. It's Flowers and uh, and Johnson. I would lean Johnson until I see otherwise, but it's kind of a flat tier. I'll just take him first. So I will go uh, a little different than you guys, and I will throw Flowers in at the 106. I'm gonna push Johnson down uh, one one pick. Now we start getting to the middle of the first round. I want to ask you here, guys, at what point are you taking a random 2024-1 plus? So if somebody offers you right here, Scott, for your 106, let's say it's today, and somebody offers you a random 2024 first, what would have to be on top of that 2024-1 to get the 106 off you right now? Man, honestly, it comes down to my my opinion of the other team because you guys have had Jordan McNamara on goat district before. And, mm -hmm. uh, he actually did a really cool thing. I believe back in 2020 in his book, analytics of dynasty, he studied, uh, the war value or the wins above replacement value on rookie picks, single QB. So exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, and it really spikes downward around the one Oh five effectively saying that a random and truly random, meaning it could be the one Oh one. It could be the one twelve with equivalent odds. Uh, is worth about the 105. So just playing it across the board, if I'm in 15 leagues and I'm sitting on a bunch of 105, 106s, and 107s, I'm actually coming out on top if I just trade the 106s and the 107s for random 24 firsts. And I think this class tracks right in that spot. We're both sitting here going, man, I don't know who to take. I definitely don't know where to go with the 107 if I had to make the actual selection after Zay Flowers. So I think it's right here. It's just... And I'm curious on Dan because he's played Dynasty even longer than me. It feels gross to take that random first for a 106 or a 107 because you just expect they should have to pay a tax. But have we over have we overthought that? Are we now smarter in Dynasty where it's like I don't account for the value I'm getting? I don't have to pick Zay Flowers, Dan. I have a pick in my back pocket. And if I have an active league with people that are willing to play ball and pick a direction when things go right or wrong, I wonder if I don't undervalue the power of having that extra first in my tote bag where, man, if I have three of those during the season, what can I buy then when there's more sellers potentially? And I think we don't value that. We just look at it as, well, I have to wait till next year to pick this pick. You need to pay me a 20% tax. Why would somebody do that if they're picking in a flat range where they don't know who to take either? So you just need a convicted person. And if you don't have a convicted person, you have a lot of process oriented players. They're going to go, no, nah, I'm going to keep my first. I can use more. I can use it to buy something later instead of paying it now. So I think, think we're in the range, certain leagues, certain places where I have too much exposure to this type of player, or I don't need another receiver. He would Zay flowers would be my wide receiver seven. Why not kick the pick to the future? I think this is the range. I think anything after one Oh five, I'm fine doing it. I think the tax is there, though, guys. I think if you're in an FFPC league and I offer out the 106 for, like, the 208 and a 2024-1, I think certain managers are going to pay that because they like what's in front of them and being able to use that pick right now. I think that that's there. Dan, do you think that that's a, a, a doable trade in a lot of your leagues? 
Yeah, I, th- I, I think that you ought to be able to hopefully get some kind of a tax. But, you know, as Scott said, if I can't get the tax at all, I'd still probably go ahead and make that pick because I think it really comes down to what you've got to use against people is their impatience. You know, a lot of people like to, you know, they, they like to know what they've got. You know, they want to know what they've got in April. They want to know what they've got in May. Um, I kind of tend to run the other way. I'd, I'd rather hold off on making as many decisions as I can until we get into August and I got a better idea of what I've got. You know, if I've got something like a 24 first, where, you know, instead of taking the Zay Flowers here, I don't have to make that decision of what do I want right now. You know, I I could potentially even get Zay Flowers for that 24 first in August. I don't know, you know, if that's what I decide what I need. But it's just so much more valuable to, to be able to do anything with it. You know, get a running back because uh, the guy you were counting on got hurt. Uh, upgrade at tight end because that's what you need. You know, you, you'll have a much better idea of what your team needs are in, in August September, October, you know, maybe you don't need anything in, in August. You say, hey, I'm just going to hang on to this pick. You can hang on to it all the way through until next year, or you can trade it at any point during the season to get whatever you need to get you by. And I think when you get down to 107, I mean, I've put together a couple trades this offseason with, with like the 107, 108, where in leagues I had multiple firsts. Uh, and I was able to come away with guys like Chubb, guys that could really help me this season, um, certain pivots like that. Uh, we're at it at almost a, a buck 15 here. Scott's been super generous with his time. I want to just throw this out there to you guys, uh, not on the show sheet, but right now we're seeing Dalton Kincaid being mocked quite often to 15, 16 overall. I know that there's a lot of steam out of Washington. There's some steam out of Green Bay that he might be a guy selected. Uh, Michael Mayer is also going to be selected somewhere in that top 25. Let's say that we have a guy like Kincaid that goes – let's say 16 overall to Green Bay, where there's a path to targets immediately and a ton of draft equity. Where should FFPC managers be valuing him in, in their rookie drafts? And you could throw Mayer, you could look at it in kind of the royal sense, or you can talk specifically with these guys, Scott. Should or will? Let's, say will? let's say will, and then you can quantify should. <laughs> Will, it's probably going to be right around in this range. Someone always goes for the first tight end off the board. He's a first-round pick. My approach, especially in this tight end class, like right now, uh, maybe this is a hot take. I don't even have Dalton Kincaid in my top three. There's a lot of smoke around this back injury that he has being a lot more serious than what people have led on. Cody's on that. But Cody's brought that up as well. With the fact that he goes at – with the fact that if the draft capital is there, does that alleviate some of your concerns? Yeah, I mean, because they know more of that information than we do. So if they still pick him in the first round, you know, maybe not Washington. Who knows what they know or what they're yeah. doing. But it, the point is, if someone takes him in the first round, it probably means multiple teams were willing to probably take him there because there's somebody that wanted him. So that would erase that. I would just say, though, I mean, we already talked about Greg Dulcich. We talked about Evan Ingram. Like, you know how hard it is to get above Evan Ingram? That's almost like the baseline. It's very hard for a tight end to just go, all right, in two years, I'm going to be better than Evan Ingram. Like that's a very, very slim range of outcome. And it also isn't necessarily a great bet in terms of having a trade chip. You know, what? what is what is Greg Dulcich if you have him right now? Is that really a powerful trade chip where you can go get a first rounder for him? Probably not. So it just kind of feels like I'm drafting myself into a trap here. And I know I can get a tight end third, fourth round. 
and a lot of FFPC leagues, especially people cut good tight ends. People legit will cut a guy like a Noah Fant or a Hunter Henry. Cause they're like, I don't have enough roster space. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll scoop those guys back up. We didn't get to the tight end values, but there's a lot of athletic tight ends that people just don't like right now. Cause they don't love their situation, but situations can change on a dime. So I, I just wouldn't draft a rookie tight end here with one of these picks. There's so many other things I'd want to do with the pick first. I got to pour one out because I had to, to cut one share of no fan last week uh, on cut day. It sucked. Um, nobody There's... wanted them. And it, I had a very good roster in that league. So that one was tough. Dan, how about where will a guy like, like let's say Kincaid goes 16 overall, where will he go in FFPC rookie drafts and where should he go? Yeah, he, he he's definitely going I think before 108 for sure in an FFPC rookie draft. And there is pretty much no chance that person is going to be me because I tend to wait until the late second, third round to start grabbing tight ends because, you know, like Scott said earlier, they're just so hard to hang on to. And, you know, year over year, you know, and I'd rather, you know, if I'm going to end up cutting bait on a guy, I'd rather cut bait on a guy that I spent a little bit less on rather than feel forced to hang on to a guy who maybe really hasn't shown me all that much, but well, I spent the, you know, 107 on him or whatever. So I really need to hang on to him through next year. Uh, I, I just hate making decisions like that. So I'd rather not go that way at all. Scott, real quick, give us a little Patreon sneak preview. Who are your top two tight ends? You don't have to give number three. They can pay for that one. <laughs> I mean, I think you got to put Mayor first. Uh, again, it's a good tight end class, but I, I don't really want to commit to having one that I know is going to be a difference maker. So I would still be hesitant on where I would draft Mayor too. Like I don't want to take him at the 107, 108 either. Um, I have Luke Musgrave second. If there's a profile that looks anything like what Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard could look like, it's Luke Musgrave. It's not Dalton Kincaid. It's not Michael Mayer. So we're just talking athleticism, RAS score, complete profile. Uh, and one thing that I think people lose sight of is college production in terms of like actual college production really doesn't track in terms of NFL production. You have to hit some minimums. Like there's some guys out there that if you look at their college production, it was like absolutely woeful. Like a guy like Dawson Knox comes to mind. We're like four percentile, but, but the bar isn't that high. You know, if you're cracking like the 20th percentile in terms of college production, you can still produce in the NFL. And then you have guys Dan's a Big 12 guy. You remember Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. Was it, he was our best player for three years. Gets to the right. NFL, and you're like, man, this guy had almost 1,000 yards. He should be a target hog in NFL. But what if he's not? It doesn't mean he's going to get the ball in the NFL. So I don't think college production matters as much, so I don't care about Musgrave's lack of production. I'll just buy the profile. And then there's a couple others, like you mentioned, but uh, they can go to the Patreon to find those. Well, this was awesome. Uh, Scott, this was like... This was great. I, I could talk for like four hours on Deep Dynasty Theory with you two guys. Um, definitely check out Scott where, whenever he's on. Uh, Scott, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you once again? Yeah, as always, uh, Twitter, Charles Chill FFB. Um, lot, a lot of different stuff on Twitter. It's not all fantasy football, but mostly just try to stay uh, in my lane there. Uh, Destination Debbie is, is where you find my two podcasts. I host a podcast called America's Game. comes out every Friday and a podcast or every Saturday and then a podcast uh, on pure dynasty theory called destination dynasty that comes out every Monday. So those two shows there DLF, I just write articles contribute where I can trades in five. That's the, the YouTube streaming. You can catch that every single week on the YouTube channel, dynasty trades in five. Uh, and then 
chasing the helmet with Jay Reed. Uh, excited to kind of get some more high stakes draft fired up. Uh, we're not doing we're not doing any football guys or any not football guys anymore. But the fantasy pros contest, we're not doing those. So it's all main events. Uh, I wanted to tell Dan. I didn't tell Dan this. Dan, I'm doing all the auctions in Vegas. So I don't know if you're going to be doing them this year, but uh, two of the auctions, yeah. the two fifteen hundred dollar auctions, I'll be in them. So I hope to see you there. You, that's you'll it. definitely see me in there. We're we're both in them. Sweet. So, yeah, it'll be a well, lot of fun. Well, Scott, you've just invited yourself onto our next Go District auction spectacular <laughs> that we do every summer. We put out w- one podcast last year that was probably the best auction podcast going. Uh, and and you can join us this year. It's uh, I'm in. Dan. Dan is the man for auction stuff. I'm sure you're a dangerous guy to, to do auction drafts against as well. And I'll kind of MC that one a little bit because I don't I don't want to get in your guys' way. I'm I'm not a huge auction guy, but I, we had Jack Hahn on last year. We had Chris Eibel. We'd love to have you join uh, those guys and and obviously Dan this summer. I'm in. Tell awesome, me when. Man. Tell me yeah. where. I'll be there. It, awesome. It'll be a ton of fun, no doubt about it. Ton of fun is right. Uh, Dan, take us away, man. All right, sounds good. Thanks everybody for uh, joining us this afternoon. Really appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for your time as well. Uh, this is this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed getting uh, getting the perspective on where you were at on this rookie class and kind of some of your pivots too. So uh, good to see you and thanks everybody for showing up. We'll catch you all next week. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense (laughs) Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy these trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Fish. Fish.